I'm currently working on an episode on how to name your CBD or hemp company. And while making it, I spoke to Michael Patterson, uh, CEO of U.S. Cannabis Pharmaceutical Research and Development. And I learned so much about the CBD and hemp industry. He's an extremely forward thinker. And if you're thinking about getting into the industry, you definitely need to hear what he has to say. So here's the interview, and I'll have that episode out next week. I'm James Darty, and this is Name Changers. Well, my background is all basically healthcare. So I um, started out as a, a licensed occupational therapist out of school in North Carolina, Carolina University, the Pirates, if anybody knows them. Um, and then got a job in Florida being a traveling occupational therapist at 22 years old and moved to Florida. So never left, been here 25 years. And so I went up through multiple businesses. Um, I was a chief operating officer of a nursing home chain called Avante. We had 2,500 employees. We did about 220 million a year. In total sales. So then I worked for a private merchant bank uh, in Miami. We did a lot of deals. We actually uh, pharmacy in Florida as well as Kansas and Oregon. Um, and then we also worked on home health. We did uh, a deal there. We did um, assisted living. Um, and then I got into cannabis and CBD and hemp back in 2013 and started forming companies in 2014 and so been in it ever since doing anything and everything imaginable with our company um with uh, cannabis hemp cbd um and it started it's interesting because it's interesting uh the people who are probably listening to you you kind of get started in something and you think it's going to go a certain way and you never end up going that same way (laughs) so Mm -hmm. you always end up going somewhere different and so started out as doing cannabis because that's where the need was. Um, I went to the first ever National Cannabis Industry Association Conference in 2014. It was in Denver and not knowing really what to expect. And coming from a lot of healthcare conferences and healthcare backgrounds, um, there was just no standardization. There was no safety measures. It was not considered medicine in my eyes. Um, Even now in 2019, we still have a long way to go. But uh, I felt like somebody needed to step up who understood this industry and do something about it. And I had a little come to Jesus moment on the plane with myself to say, okay, I don't think a lot of people are jumping out of the, out of, uh, out of their pharmaceutical worlds and healthcare worlds to stand up and do this. And so I had the opportunity at that time to do it and started out by doing that. And then we started consulting with tribes uh, who wanted to get into the space of hemp and cannabis. And then as the CBD started to increase, we knew that there was need to be able to educate people on CBD and what it does, and also deal with a lot of different types of aspects of the business. So we consult with a lot of venture capital firms and CBD companies. Um, we actually are starting uh, applying for a medical marijuana license here in the state of Florida, as well as a CBD processing plant. So we've evolved to the point where now we're getting in front of um, very professional people. Um, you see the industry trying to move forward from the mom and pop style to the corporate style. CBD and CBD processing are going to be that way. And um, that's kind of how we got started. And now it's just uh, everything, as you can imagine. 
you have so many people, the CBD is the buzz, they may not understand all the different uh, cannabinoids and what's coming next. They just hear CBD is great and it's awesome and I can start my own you know, business from home, kind of like a multi-level marketing. I have a lot of people who contact me on that. We typically don't deal in those types of businesses because um, there's too much what I call meat on the bone to go focus on the global markets right now. If you notice around the world, CBD by um, the World Health Organization has come out and said it's non-harmful although the FDA seems to differ on that. If you've heard the FDA coming about talking about could cause liver damage, which mm -hmm. they still don't have a lot of studies for that to say it does, but we feel like we're in a, a position where we really have to lead, not just the U S but lead the, the, the world in proper regulation, proper um, distribution contracts, making sure the good guys can win um, and making sure that this is an ethical and moral and reliable and consistent product. Mm -hmm. Well, you got in early on that then. Yeah, well, you would. It's all about uh, perception because some people think you got in and that we we got in late. I mean, at oh, the yeah. time. But what I see now is since the 2018 farm bill passed, is I'm getting calls um, that I never got before. So let me explain. So I do a lot of consulting with a company called Gerson Lehrman Group. They're an international investment consulting firm, and they have offices all over the world. So I started doing consulting with CBD, cannabis, and hemp in 2014 with them, and I'd get maybe one or two calls a year. Last year, I did 80 calls with them, and this year, I'm probably going to do over 120 with them and other companies. And it, it's the venture capital firms are calling now. Um, for example, um, if people probably don't know that Thailand legalized medical cannabis a couple months ago, and I started getting calls from venture capital firms in Thailand. And the calls go something like this. Um, we don't know anything about this. <laughs> and can you please help us understand what this is? And I'm like, sure. So... The big, big, uh, big money is sitting on the sidelines still. They're starting to get involved in CBD specifically, medical cannabis somewhat. Um, but we see this as an international um, trade, and it could be something that can really help our planet from a lot of different ways. Um, you know, with the hemp and cannabis plants that they can help not just in uh, medicine, but they can also help in building materials. We're actually working with a company right now who is does 3D printing and they're of houses. And so they wow. want to try to use hemp um, materials instead of using concrete to be able to do that. And we feel that uh, pushing uh, hemp cannabis uses globally is the answer to help a lot of our societal problems. Um, we feel as, as our, our resources as humans on this planet continue to dwindle, um, we need to find resources and ways to uh, do this in a different, more responsible way to the planet and more efficient for everybody. And that opens up a lot of opportunities to make money. And so a lot of times we, we consult with companies to tell them as you move forward in this industry, it's not going to be acceptable for you to take all your money and run away and not help anything or anybody. So we re strongly recommend, we have a lot of companies who consult with us about starting new ventures and so forth like that. Um, and we always recommend, you need to put in the social component because if you don't, then people eventually aren't going to buy your product and they're going to go to somebody else because we're all gonna be more um, aware of where our dollars go in the future. And so that's why we typically consult with a lot of companies, but we only partner with companies who are on the same page as we are in a business mind. Um, we feel the company of the future has to be able to give back. Also, the company of the future has to fill uh, huge needs that are currently here and also 
fix a lot of bottlenecks in the industry. And so bottlenecks are where things are getting backed up, whether it be banking, whether it be security, whether it be um, software, whether it be cryptocurrency coming into CBD, how does that uh, work? How does that fix a, a problem? So we've kind of gotten ourselves into, I tell a lot of people, we are becoming the Halliburton of cannabis and weed and CBD to mm. where people come to us as a kind of a, a front door to the industry and say, this is our idea, where can we go? And our job is to say, you can go in all these different directions. You just have to decide which one do you want to go. And once the direction you're going to go, I'll tell you all the risks involved. Kind of somebody said, kind of like an Indiana Jones. Yeah, you can get to the end, but there's all these trap doors in, in, in between. And so you have to figure out how to go and learn from other people's mistakes. And so that's kind of where we are right now is we have, you know, between myself and then our president, Michael Bisher, he started growing cannabis. He's a cannabis uh, expert grower. Um, he hates when I say that, but he knows a lot <laughs> more than I do about growing. But he started in 2009. So he's been oh. in the legal game for 10 years. And so he and I collaborate a lot because I come from a very regulated background. And he was saying in Colorado, it was the Wild West when he started. You know, there was people would bring in sacks of weed that were like 20 pounds and say, take your pick. What do you want to sell? You know, so they don't do that anymore. There was no <laughs> lab testing. There was no chain of custody. There was nothing like that. And so that world will never exist again, at least in the United States. And now it's moving to multi-state um, to where you're, you're seeing um, you can't transport across state lines, but you can with CBD. But we're starting to see big business get in and starting to standardize operational procedures. For example, with, with CBD processing, one of the standardizations now is, is called GMP or good manufacturing practices. So if you're going to sell your product across the U.S., you pretty much have to have that. It's not in law yet, but no company will typically accept your product unless it's GMP certified. And then if you're going to sell in Europe, it has to be EU GMP certified. So we're starting to see companies getting ready to either file for EU GMP certification because they can sell their product over there um, or vice versa to where they have EU GMP and they're working to get it over into the United States. Very cool. I wanted to touch on about, you talked about companies need to start giving back, which I totally agree. I mean, we're in the age where millennials and Gen Z really care about, you know, the mission of the companies and what they're doing with their dollars to give back. Uh, talk to me a bit about how CBD companies can give back. Cause I mean, you have Tom's, they give a pair of shoes for every pair of shoes they sell. You got Bombas giving a pair of socks. What, what kind of give backs do CBD companies usually do? Um, to be honest, there's no consistency right now. Some mm -hmm. will just give like discount on products. Some will donate to, um, to causes, you know, so I've kind of seen all things, to be honest, there hasn't been a lot that I've seen so far of people saying, Hey, we're giving back to do X, Y, and Z. I've seen that more from the medical cannabis space. And uh, I think one of the reasons is what we see in CBD is we see a lot more companies getting jumping in because you could be a mom and pop business and you could do this. So as a mom and pop business, I don't have the money to go out and put in 20, you know, to $20,000 to help somebody because I'm only making 50,000 a year in my side job and doing selling CBD. So as we move forward and get bigger in the industry, what you're going to see is a lot of these small mom and pops are going to fall by the wayside. When that happens, then you're going to see more corporate stepping up and they're going to be donating more money. Some of the things that we've heard right now is people are donating money and it's not being accepted because it's either CBD or THC products or cannabis. 
and they don't want to be around it or it's bad. So mm. as that that stigma declines, you're going to start to see, I think, uh, more people giving and more people willing to give um, and more people willing to accept. But so far, we're just so new in the industry. There hasn't been a trend. What I would like to see is um, donating to educational campaigns um, that can educate the public on what this is and what this isn't. Because if I'm doing it, it's going to help me. <laughs> so I'm going to help <laughs> yeah. public. It's going to help me. I'm going to be the guy saying, hey, this is what it is. This is what it isn't. This is what we fight for, for standards and provide that free education because people want to understand what this is. I mean, based on my uh, experience in long term care, I have I'm used to dealing with people over 65 all day long. And so the evolution that we've seen over the past uh, probably five years is to where somebody's in their 80s and 90s didn't want to talk about CBD because either they didn't understand it or they thought it was marijuana. So now. Not only do they want to talk about it, they want to know where to get it, how much it is, how much can it work, because they're so tired of taking uh, so many medications, so prescription medications. So in the United States, the average uh, prescription use per person is 13 meds a day. Wow. And they're tired of it. They're so yeah. tired of it. They want to be able to do something natural, more effective. And so the challenge for, for seniors is, is to get them to understand dosing. Because with our our bodies have an endocannabinoid system, if you're not aware, it's a lock and key system in our body, which actually decreases inflammation, keeps your body at a homeostatic level. And so by using CBD and other cannabinoids, you can actually help regulate inflammation throughout the body. And that's one of the reasons cannabis and CBD works so well is because it's basically all you have receptors throughout your body. And so once they kind of understand that a little bit better and the physicians understand that, they'll realize with cannabis medication and CBD medication, one size does not fit all. So you may need 20 milligrams of CBD and it does great. Well, I may need 200 milligrams for the same problem. So it doesn't mean I'm going to get high. So remember, CBD does not get you high like as a marijuana would, but it's just figuring in that dosing. And so a lot of times I tell people you have to kind of work with the dose, see what works for you over time. I tell them, give it a couple months and kind of work through different dosing to see what works. Because once you find your specific dose, most people love it. Um, per, case in point, my, um, uh, my uncle, uh, his name's Cal, he, uh, he has a lot of joint pain. He's turning 75 next week. And so he bought a CBD cream. He's like, I thought I was full of crap. <laughs> he bought it, he put it on. He's like, man, this stuff works. It's so good. I can't believe it. So that's what we kind of see is, is testimonials, people coming through and using a product and it's working and they don't have a lot of side effects because what we see from a senior citizen aspect, they don't want to get high. They just want to feel better, mm -hmm. you know, and if we can help them feel better at decreased cost and then when they feel better, they're less likely to have other major injuries because that's what I'm used to being in nursing homes, a fall with a fractured hip. Uh, a fall and a potential, you know, uh, a head injury. You know, these are the types of things that you're in more pain. You don't move as much. You decrease your mobility. When you decrease your mobility, you're less strong. Your legs get weaker, and then you're more likely to fall. So mm -hmm. we see the big picture on how this medication can help long term across the the spectrum of healthcare. Um, one one thing that we need to look out for is what other countries are doing in regards to socialized medicine. I get this question a lot. So. Was this ever going to be covered by insurance? And the short answer is not until it's legal federally. Uh, CBD may come that down that road, but Medicare is not knocking at the door of CBD companies saying, please let us pay for this. Yeah, you know, so exactly. once somebody starts to push it, then you're going to start to see it potentially uh, become legal. And if it becomes legal, then the pharma, oh, well, let me take that back. 
it will become to the point where insurance will cover it in the United States. But right now, we're just not there yet. Mm -hmm. um, one country that is covering medical cannabis is Germany. So Germany legalized in 2017. And so as of right now, they have about 40,000 patients um, where they currently purchase cannabis in a pharmacy. So um, what they're finding is, is that the patients who use cannabis are decreasing the use of their prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. So if I'm Germany and I have socialized medicine and I have to pay for health insurance for all my comp all my people, if I can decrease two, possibly three medications per person per month, that's going to save me a lot of money. So what I see is the future of governments getting behind this and the UN trying to get behind it and say, you know what? We can save billions, possibly trillions of dollars long term if we start using a cannabis-based medicine, whether it be CBD, THC, what have you, and then start developing the funds and the research dollars to go into this to really say, countries, you can legalize this and this is why, because I hate to be a realist, but nothing ever changes until we can either figure out how to save money or make money. So if we can figure out either of those, then I think that's where we're trying to push companies to say, when this becomes legal, governments will accept it because of the money factor. They're going to save billions of billions of dollars. We're just not far enough along in the game to see those, that data, but it is going to come. All right. So this is a naming podcast. So I do want to move over to the naming portion. Uh, so I know with a lot of, I, I mean, I'm getting messaged by a lot of clients who want to start their own CBD company and it ranges it ranges a lot from a ton of white labeling, you know, some person who sees that they can make some money in CBD. So they just want to wholesale white label, put their brand on it and sell it. Then you got the people who are growing their own, getting licenses. And then you have corporations who want in on the game and some people who are trying to go higher end, they're trying to go more pharmaceutical where it's sold over the counter. Uh, so you said that mom and pop shops are probably going to go by the wayside when corpor corporations take over. Is there anything that mom and pop brands can do to stay relevant as that change happens? That's a great question. And I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I don't see a lot of recourse because um, the money that's required to be in this business is a lot. Um, I think what they could do is... The number one thing I can say is distribution, distribution, distribution. If you have a small business and you have a good brand, then I would try to work that brand and do your distribution as quickly as you can because there's so many CBD lines coming out. And to be honest, most of the CBD lines are all the same product because they're all white labeling. If you're not familiar with white labeling, it's basically... If imagine there's there's hundreds of gallons of CBD and they lab tested and 250 different companies say, I want to name my CBD X. And we say, OK, out of these 100 gallons, we're going to put all these different labels on it. And it's all the same stuff. So that's the challenge. If you're a mom and pop and you're getting your stuff from Canaway or CTFO, it's all the same stuff. I don't see specific product formulations. So if, if I'm a mom and pop, I want to start looking at specific product formulations, not just CBD. I need to have CBG and, and, and THCA, maybe some CBN. You have to get something around your product that's special and unique because the, what, we're, what we're seeing in the future coming is specific product formulations are the ones that are going to last to stand the test of time because you'll get enough people using it. They'll realize it's a benefit and you can sell that as a brand. 
Um, think about something as, as, as silly as five-hour energy, okay? Most people know what five-hour energy is. Now there's tons of other brands, but most people use a five-hour energy because they got to the market first and they, what I call, imprinted to where nobody knew what an energy shot was. They got the distribution up so far. They said, well, this must be the best one because it's the biggest. That's because they got to market first. So that's what I say is I think, I think the mom and pops, the way they can succeed is branding because somebody's going to be able to make your product cheaper than you are, but they're going to buy your product because of your brand. Look at Advil and look at ibuprofen. So you can go buy Advil and pay a couple extra bucks and they're still in business after 30 years. So to me, by law, most of those products have to be the same as a generic, but they're selling a lot of Advil. So that's kind of how I see as a mom and pop, how can you differentiate your business or your product to where you're special? And the only way I can see to do that is to have exact product formulations that you can either patent or you can lock up through your provider for many years to come. Mm -hmm. That's smart. That's smart. That's a good tip. Uh, so talk to me how that translates to, to branding and naming, because uh, like I said, you have the people who are in or the companies that are in pharmacies and then you have the ones that are in the health food stores and then you have the ones that are in the independent CBD, you know, hemp shops. Um, so moving towards the future, where, which group do you see being the most successful and what should they focus on when it comes to naming and branding? That's a big, that's a big question. I know, it's tough. <laughs> that's a tough question. So let's try to, to break those down in individual parts. So yeah. let's start with the, the pharmaceuticals going into pharmacy. So that market, the CVS, the Walgreens, the big boys are there. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're mom and pop, not going to happen. Unless you're, unless you have regional distribution. So, um, so there's a, there's a company I'm going to try to compare it to. It's called, uh, it's uh, bees, not beeswax. It's the stuff, um, Burt's bees. You ever Burt's heard bees, of Burt's yeah. bees? The okay. lip gloss, not the lip gloss, the, the uh, chapstick. Chapstick. Yeah. So yeah. Burt's bees is a chapstick company. And I know, um, uh, friends of mine were uh, own that company. And so I, I, and then they sold out to somebody they did well, but, Listening to how they started, what they did is they were able to get into local pharmacies, local stores, uh, local health food stores, get the brand kind of going. And it was more of a regional brand. And then they finally got picked up by a, uh, not a Walgreens, but something similar, maybe like a Rexall or something like that, to where people started using their product. And then that's kind of how they took off. So if, I, if, if I'm a pharmaceutical company, I'm going to go directly to Walgreens and say, hey, I'm going to give you this product and it's great. And I'm going to give it to you cheaper than anybody else. And they're going to say, okay. And, and case in point is Cureleaf. Cureleaf is a publicly traded cannabis company, but they also make CBD. They're publicly traded in Canada, but they're basically based in the United States. So they had a deal with CBS to do a CBD cream or balm. Um, and it got pulled because the FDA wrote them a letter saying, you're saying there's medical benefits. Uh, so you got to pull your product for now, but they'll be back. It's just a, kind of a slap on the wrist. But that gives you an idea of who CVS and, and Walgreens are dealing with because it's a pain in the butt for them to have to buy from small buyers. Because think about it. If I can get one buyer at the corporate headquarters and I can supply CBD products for the entire store, uh, 5,000 stores, it's easier. I'm going to make more money. So mm -hmm. pharmaceutical companies is done. The, um, the health food stores, I think that's a great, great, great place for a small brand. Also the local CBD shops, but you have to differentiate yourself because we all know now they're having like 20 brands of CBD. 
So whether it be you're going to do an informational flyer, you're going to do a small little video you put in your store about why your product is best. You talk about a study that you did. Uh, you paid for a research study. Your place is made. Uh, it's made in the EU or, G or GMP certified ISO accredited laboratory. You have all your laboratory testing, which now you can get off your QR codes on the side of the bottle for CBD. Um, you want to I tell people a lot with cannabis and CBD, you're not selling a product, you're selling trust. So if people don't trust your product, they're never going to buy it. Well, how do you develop trust? You develop trust a couple of different ways. One is compliance and one is transparency. If they understand who you are, what you're about, why you're doing this and why your product works great. Also, if you have a story to tell, if you have a really good story on how this helped your grandmother or your brother or helped the kid or whatever, then people are like, okay, well, it helped that person. And they're kind of going through what I'm going through. Maybe I'll try that. Um, I get asked all the time, uh, what product should I take and, and, and which one's the best? And I say, always go to the lab reports. So if you're buying CBD, you should be able to go to the side of the bottle and they have those QR codes. You put your camera on it, you take a picture, it'll pull up the COA, which is called the Certificate of Analysis. Some people call it the Certificate of Authenticity. All it is is a lab report. It says, this is what it is, this is what's in it. So that's the number one thing that I tell people to go to first. and then go to their website if they have tons of testimonials i mean it could be true but technically they're not supposed to have that stuff because you'd have to go through fda clinical trials to prove that mm. so that's one thing but also um for me i'll recommend products that i've actually either used or know the owners and and see the whole um value chain so for example there's a um, I was one of the judges for the first ever competition this year called the World CBD Awards, and it was held in Barcelona, Spain. And so the goal of the awards is to recognize companies who are doing the right thing. Um, they're doing the proper lab testing. They're not having a bunch of stuff on their um, their website about claims. And so by going through that process, we had about 89 different CBD companies who applied to have their product tested and, and enter. And out of that, we had about 10 COAs. That was it. So... It's crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And so that's where, and the reason we started the, the uh, award ceremony and we have like the Oscars, it's a red carpet, the whole nine yards and all the product is judged way ahead of time. So you get to have finalists and so forth. So one of the companies who won was called Relief, R-E-L-Y-F. And Relief is a CBD company based in Alabama of all places. Mm. So the reason they won is because they had all, they, they followed directions, number one. And they had the proper documentation. And so they didn't have anything on their, their website saying they were, they were, you know, cures cancer or anything like that. Um, they sourced their product appropriately. They had the proper seed to sale or uh, uh, we call it in a pharmacy, the uh, uh, not the branding, but um, pedigree. It's called pedigree. So they had all that type of stuff. And, you know, we got to, to see their website and, and meet them personally. And they're doing things the right way. They're trying to provide a good product. It's safe in the U.S., and then we had another product that actually had a pet division that won was called uh, Mojo, M-O-J-O. And so um, they won because they were, they were, I think we had 10 or 12 pet uh, CBD products. They were the only one who had a COA, certificate of analysis. Mm. I mean, so, but he had a great, he did everything right. He probably would have won no matter what. But, but to me, he, he, the, the people who follow the, jump through the hoops now and do it correctly are the ones who are, are going to be able to move farther and they're going to be the ones who potentially could get bought out. Mm. So, like the uh, Burt's Bees, the reason they got bought out is because they had decent distribution. And there was a lot of what I call meat on the bone left 
to be able to grow the company. So they, they sold out, made good money, and now Birch Bees is all over the U.S. That's smart. Wow. All right. So going back to just uh, just talking about like naming and branding, what kind of missteps do you see when it comes to companies like naming and branding their uh, their CBD? It could be white label. It could be the ones that they're making themselves. Are there any are there any times you look at a label uh, besides like you know having the COA and things like that? Are there any times you look at a label and you're just like, ah, shouldn't have done that. Ah, oh, why are they doing that? Don't put the word CBD in your lane. <laughs> exactly. Number one. Number one. That's a that's a terrible, terrible thing to do. Because I see that all the me, time. To me, what you're showing me is you are a one product person. You have to remember, if you're going to have specialty formulations, there's over 100 cannabinoids. CBD is only one of them. So we've only scratched the surface in researching this. So if you get, what if you have a T, THCA product? You're going to call that, you know, if your CBD is in your name, then you're, people are going to not pay attention to you because eventually CBD is going to be so cheap that it's just going to be an additive in everything. And so people will be looking for product formulations that have multiple cannabinoids to benefit them rather than just CBD because only having CBD is getting very passe because anybody can do it. So when you have specific product formulations, then you're more like a, a nutraceutical as I would call it. So I have to take your product every day in small doses. And so that's why as a, as a, a provider, I'm going to make more sales. So you want something they're going to use every day, but you want something special. So the number one thing is don't put CBD in the name. And I always recommend something that's easy to understand, you know, um, have a story behind it, you know, something like that. Say if you use a, a foreign name, like a Greek name, it means something, you know? So, if you can have a story behind your name rather than we're just big, bad CBD or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, there's a, there's a brand, uh, there was a brand that came out in the UK and it was from a guy who um, he is a big guy on Instagram. He has like a millions of followers. I can't remember his name. And uh, it's called Ignite, I G N I T E Ignite CBD. Mm-hmm. Their whole brand, their whole brand is, they have a guy on social media who has 2 million or 3 million followers. That's literally his brand. And the, the CEO got up in London when I spoke last year and he, this, this year in 2019, he said, we don't know anything about CBD, but we have a, a CEO that has 2 million followers on Instagram. <laughs> that was, that was his fix. Yeah, I'm like, like <laughs> so, so like all of a sudden that makes it okay. Like that makes right. It, you know, I have, I'm on Instagram and I'm a rocket scientist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just cause I have followers. So we try to tell people, Story and what at the end of the day is when you're doing something better for somebody else and you have a product that brings value. And so you have to figure out what that value is. And so figure that out. And, and that's what I tell people. If, if the name comes and it doesn't really mean much, you have to make stuff up around the name and, and the brand, then it's probably not a good brand. Mm. Wow. It's like, that's a quote right there. Hit it right on the head. I mean, I can give you a, a great example of branding. So sure. uh, one of the guys that's one of my partners in another business, um, his name's Joe Oliver, great guy. He's out of London. He created a brand called LDN CBD or London CBD. Mm. So he, he's, uh, he's, he opened the first CBD store in London. He got a lot of press on it. He's been able to build up the brand in London and he just got in GQ magazine for LDN CBD because his brand is 
very, very high-end custom formulations of CBD. So he saw the market over a year ago, and he's like, this is where it's going, and I'm going to create a premier product. So he was just telling me that he had some, um, some movie actors who were starting to use his product. Um, and so he'll, hopefully he'll be able to tell who those are soon. But uh, this is a guy, it's, he went to Stanford. Um, he's even though, even though he's from the UK and he's a very good entrepreneur. And of course I met him at the world CBD awards when I was one of the judges. And so um, that's where you kind of realize you can kind of work with different types of people. Um, another thing I'd recommend if you're in the CBD, is go to the shows, meet the people, talk to the people in the industry, because you really have to keep learning. I read every single day. I work every single day because this industry changes globally. Absolutely. Um, we're, we're going now, most of the business in the next 10 years will probably be outside of the United States. So like for me personally, I'm speaking at, at nine marijuana and cannabis and CBD shows globally next year. Um, and nine, well, no, nine right now in nine different countries. So we're actually branching into other other disciplines. Um, I was called to be a keynote at an IT summit in Fort Lauderdale in February. <laughs> so I remember talking to him. I was like, "Yeah, I can talk. What am I talking about?" <laughs> they said, "They said uh, we have a we have a, a separate educational session on cannabis and IT." I'm like, "Great! I can tell you all about cannabis." I'm very, very limited on the IT. So that's <laughs> exactly. okay. That's okay. But what you're seeing is cannabis and CBD are coming into different markets. And so yeah. it's going to play in all different markets. Also, if I'm a CBD person and I'm doing a CBD live right now, start figuring out how to get involved in hemp-based um, plastics, hemp-based clothing. Um, and those are the main things. And then I was going to say hemp-based fuel, but fuel is kind of difficult because it takes a lot of money to get into. But the number one thing is hemp hemp based clothing or fiber because the future of of clothing is going to move to hemp and the reason being is that cotton uses a tremendous amount of pesticides to make it it only has one crop per year hemp can have up to 3 realistically 2 depending on where you are in the world you can grow it a lot cheaper it uses zero pesticides and you can make all the clothes that you want by using that so one of the things that I see happening is um, right now you're noticing the higher brands like the Louis Vuitton and Givenchy or all the Fufu brands, I call them. They're starting to implement some sort of hemp jean or hemp t-shirt and they're charging a ton of money for it. Mm -hmm. And I call that the Tesla effect. So what did Tesla do? They didn't build the station wagon first and the small little $10,000 car. They built the luxury model and then they worked their way down. So that's where I see hemp going. So if you can work your way into distribution, if you have experience in dealing with textiles or textile distribution uh, or working on the product, that is going to be very huge in the next five years. For example, Levi's jeans, we've all heard of them, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they currently are developing a hemp woven and cotton woven jean that feels like regular blue jeans. Well, the problem is they, they want to go all hemp, but there's not enough hemp fiber in order to do that. And that's for multiple reasons, one of which everybody's growing it for CBD. So mm -hmm. something that I've learned through my journey is you grow hemp grown for CBD is grown differently than growing it for fiber. So hemp grown for CBD looks like a Christmas tree or a marijuana plant. You know, everything's got the big fat buds. They have the oil in it. That's where you get the CBD. Well, when you grow a hemp strain for fiber, you grow it with really big stalks and just little bitty itty leaves because what you typically use is the stalk to be able to make the fiber. 
Um, that's what we see there. We also see it being used in building materials. If you're in construction, you're in construction management, anything like that, you're going to start to see homes and builders go after everything hemp-based because it's, it's not going to have any problems like with Chinese drywall we had in Florida a couple years ago, which was really, really bad, and they had a bad smell and chemicals. Um, it's cheaper to make, especially in Florida, uh, where you and I live, they can make uh, hemp concrete, and mm -hmm. it's actually bug resistant, it's mil mildew and mold resistant, and it's fire resistant. So it actually can make it cheaper than concrete. And so we see that being made. Um, they're coming out with demonstration houses that everything in the whole house is made of hemp because you can make hemp plastics. Um, for those of you who don't know, hemp can make over 25,000 products. That's why wow. I've always talked about it can save our planet because we can make so many different things. One of the things that our company is working on is creating a new Silicon Valley or Research Triangle Park in Florida. It's a three county area on the Central East Coast. That would be um, what we call the, the um, Hemp and Cannabis Research Zone. Uh, the short name would be the Star Zone, S-T-A-R which is the Space and Treasure Coast Agricultural Research Zone for all the reasons that we're talking about on, on this podcast is that the, the, the industry is just starting. We need to have a central point where everybody around the world can come to, to be able to study this plant, start making these products. Then we have the export channels through all the ports on the East Coast of Florida to export hemp products, plastic products, clothing, whatever we need for the next 50 to 100 years. And it's an area in Florida that can, can handle sustained growth for the next 30 years you know you can't put this in miami there's no land and up in the central part or north part of florida it's too isolated so you can't get to it that easy so you need a place that has good rail traffic to get to the ports and you need need a, a, an area that has good weather and of course florida has good weather outside the hurricanes and you need an area that can handle ag growth agricultural growth as well as biotech and it growth because the industry is not just going to be agriculture it's going to be biotech it's going to be financial it's going to be all types of industries are going to need to talk together. And we noticed that collaboration works very well to move things forward in a, in a, a quicker manner than working in silos, as I call them, and, and trying to work independently of each other. Mm, gotcha. So if there's any growers listening, it, right now is a good time to start diversifying their crops to, to mm -hmm. hit all of those. If you're a grower smart. right now, start looking at finding companies that'll buy fiber. I've got companies in North Carolina that want to process fiber, but they don't have any hemp. So, and they want to make clothes out of it, but there's not enough around because everybody's on the CBD train. Well, they're all growing the same uh, biomass. And so right now we have a glut. Um, in, in 2018, United States grew 80,000 acres of hemp. Well, this year in 2019, we grew half a million acres. So do we really think that we can process all that extra supply in one year because the the breakdown or the bottleneck in the cannabis or in the CBD industry is processing. If I can't process your product, then how am I going to move it to market? So I compare it to oranges. Oranges are only, if you're going to use it for orange juice, well, unless you're going to have a processing plant, then what good is the oranges? I mean, yes, mm. you can still eat them, but, to me, if you're having thousands of acres of oranges, you're going to be contracted to a processor. Well, it's the same thing in cannabis and in hemp, excuse me. So you have to have a processor to, to, to be able to move your product who's going to buy your product. I'm hearing horror stories in Canada right now. You got biomass going for 20 cents a pound, five mm. cents a pound, you know? And so I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just getting so and so cheap. And so um, the horror stories about farmers going bankrupt and getting into it. And this is, 
I hate to say it, this is gonna this is gonna weed out for no pun intended, it's gonna weed <laughs> out a lot of farmers who jumped into this and had promises and everybody didn't uh, setting on a set price. And so I think what we're going to see is next year, it's going to be even worse. We'll probably have 750,000 acres because a lot of States didn't make the planting season this year because the state law didn't catch up. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about 750,000 acres and about three to 400,000 uh, acres will actually be harvested this year out of that half a million acres, about 250,000 will actually be harvested. The reason is only half is because of crop failure, people doing stuff they don't know anything about and, uh, and, and product rotting because they couldn't get to, to processing fast enough. And so the, the, what I see moving forward is the it's things are going to have to be shaken up a little bit to get into a system because we're just getting started. Um, but the, the smaller groups, I think, start looking at the new areas that are going to be hot in two to three years, specifically for fiber, because if you can do everything clothing with hemp and you have a great supply, then the pricing is going to be high for the next two to three years until people realize I need to stop growing it for CBD and I need to start growing it for fiber because fiber can make it for a lot of things. It can make it for hemp creed. It can make it for drywall. It can make it for a lot of different things. And so that is where you you're not going to make a, a gazillion dollars like you were doing with hemp. But right now with hemp, you're not making a gazillion dollars because mm. it's a glut. Yeah. So you have to be smart about it. And so that's where I would I recommend if you're a farmer um, and it's, it's going to be another crop like soybean or corn or citrus, you're going to pay your bills, but you're not going to make this. It's not a lottery ticket. by any means. Mm. All right, Michael, I, I learned a ton just on this short conversation. So I know my listeners are going to as well. Uh, where can people find you? The best place to find me is on, is on LinkedIn. So you can just type in my name, Michael Patterson, then to put U.S. Cannabis. Um, and it should come up. If it doesn't, put Michael Patterson, U.S. Cannabis Pharmaceutical Research and Development. Um, I have 17,000 followers. I love more followers because my goal is education. I post a lot of things regarding education of the industry, rules, laws, changing all over the world. Because it's really important to have a global view of this. Because Camp and cannabis and CBD, all these industries are going to be global commodities. So the more you can understand now, you can set your business up to take advantage of these global industries because most people, 99% of people that I see in this industry don't think that big. And that's going to be a problem as we move forward. So, but yeah, mm -hmm. LinkedIn, Michael Patterson, U.S. Cannabis. Great. We'll talk again soon. Sorry. Okay, buddy. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Bye. Name Changers is made in association with Namestormers, a naming agency in Austin, Texas. Find out more about them at namestormers.com. Special thanks this week to Michael Patterson. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really helps people find us. I'm James Darty. We'll see you next time.